Welcome to the podcast from the Temple. I'm Rabbi Peter Berg. And I'm Rabbi Lauren Filson Lapidus. This episode is brought to you by the Temple, Atlanta's oldest and youngest synagogue. Lauren, you're, you, you're not going to believe it, but uh, this is our high, our 36th podcast episode. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe. I don't even know as we remember to acknowledge the first high. So to get to double high is extra special and a sign that we've been at this quite a while. 36. I mean, like uh, when you told me this morning, I just couldn't believe it. I would have, I'm not so good with numbers, (laughs) but I I can't believe that. From the first time we, you know, when we started and we had, uh, we were in person with like all this fancy equipment and microphones and uh, Mm -hmm. here we are. and here we are on Zoom. We've we've come quite a distance. And what's amazing is we have no shortage of people to talk to. Uh, we have a wonderful episode today as we talk with Jenna Schulman from the Jewish Education Loan Fund. And then we have so many more people who we will be interviewing over the next couple of months. So just when we think we've talked to everyone we can think of, then somehow the list keeps growing, which is great. And a thank you to our listeners who've made some great suggestions as well. Well, and so with that, let's turn now to episode number 36. Lauren, I'm so excited about our guest today. We have uh, one of the great leaders in our Jewish community, and of course, a temple member, um, and uh, someone I've known a long time. Um, uh, joining us is Jenna Schulman, uh, who I I know are I know because I know your dad from the Union for Reform Judaism. When I was in rabbinical school, I taught his. Uh, leadership development class, and then he went on to become this great like leader of the reform movement, which has nothing to do with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to take a little credit. Can I say like Jenna used to be my neighbor? I feel like I need to take some credit here somehow. But Jenna, we are so glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a true honor, and I feel like there's a lot of synergy between Jelf and the Temple and all things that we do, and so I'm excited. I didn't realize that that your dad and and Peter go back that far. I will say that I'm glad we did this interview just so I can have that bit of yeah, it. like to the '90s, um, uh, something like that. No, uh, I, there was for me for me when I was back at Emory Law, which is going on 20 years ago, and I was looking for a place to go for the high holidays. My dad said, "There's nowhere else you can go than the temple." And so while all my friends were going to Hillel, I took a friend and we went to the temple and it was an awing and wonderful experience. And I knew and hoped that I would be part of it one day for real when I was not a student. And I've been such a proud temple member now for going on probably 12 years or so. And the interview's over. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, thank, you so much <laughs> thank you. But um, now you are the executive director of JELF, Jewish Education Loan Fund. And um, to start, we're going to ask a question that I, I think you probably knew was going to come, which is tell us what JELF is and what it does, um, because we probably have a few listeners who have no idea. Exactly. And often often JELF is a, a secret until you've heard of it, we say. But um, Jewish Educational Loan Fund dates back over 130 years. We began as an organization that was the Hebrew Orphans Home. We moved on to being Adoption and Welfare Services. And then in 1961, we became JELF, which is an organization that we still are today, providing interest-free loans, but exclusively for the purpose of providing higher education to students, Jewish students, 
that are in need and have proven to be deserving of these last dollar interest-free loans that help save them ultimately thousands of dollars throughout the course of their undergraduate and or graduate careers. And I think that, you know, where we want to make an impact in people's lives is in the savings that they don't have to accrue the interest while going through what we all know is so expensive college. One of the things that always impresses me are the numbers and you're, you're so good about, you know, showing the numbers to the community. You know, how many loans have you given? You know, how much, how much money has been, you know, ballpark? Because uh, it's so unbelievable. You know, it, it's, it is unbelievable. And the truth is that we are giving out roughly about $1.5 million on average a year. And so over the last 10 years alone, we've given out the bulk, even though we've been around a lot longer than that, over the last 10 years is really where we began beefing up, realizing the need. I mean, you know, the two things happened in the early 2000s, right? Like the cost of college skyrocketed and the internet boom. And that combination is really what led more and more people to being able to discover Jelf. Previously, Jelf was something that was sometimes under the radar. Maybe a rabbi may have known about it. And when a family was in crisis and saying, Rabbi, we don't know how we're going to pay for college, maybe he was able to say, here's a pamphlet about Jelf, the Jewish educational income. Well, no longer gone are those days. Now you can find us through the internet. You can find us through the click of a button. And it's very easy to get our word out. You know, I think it's important to share that while we are based and headquartered in Atlanta, we have the unusual five-state region of Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. And so we do a lot of our business here in Atlanta, 27% last year out on the streets to Atlanta students, but we also have a wide area. That's amazing. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you went to Emory Law. And so you're a lawyer by education and degree, and now you're an executive director of a nonprofit. How did you come to end up doing what you're doing? And, and why did you choose this as your career path? Well, I think that from the time that I was in law school, it became very apparent to me that I cared very deeply about social justice, human rights, and nonprofit organizations became an area of, of significant interest. I spent a lot of my summers working in the nonprofit sector. And as soon as I was done with law school, I really informed my parents quite quickly that I was very interested in nonprofit. So my first job was actually for the Emory Law School development um, department. And it was a fantastic way for me to understand through the university level, which does alumni relations and so, so on so well, um, how nonprofits sometimes can be run. But ultimately, it was a calling to work within something that I cared and had such a passion for that really sparked me into looking for work in the Jewish community. And it was around probably 2003 now that I was really, you know, searching for the, the right opportunity and came across a fantastic organization or that I wound up being with for nine and a half to 10 years and really developed a lot more of my nonprofit skill. Uh, Jelf really calls back home to me though, because uh, let's face it. I mean, it's as local as it gets. We're helping students all over our community, the community I grew up in Miami and so many other areas achieving their success. It's, it's incredible. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, Jelf had this amazing exhibit at the Bremen 
and you know was sort of the history of the organization and um it was also a history of the temple it was it was like it was amazing uh, the sort of overlap the venn diagram between jelf and the temple uh, so uh, i'd love to hear a little bit more because i don't know if everybody knows that story through the the the, the uh, orphans home and the the unbelievable connection early on between these two great institutions yes and as a matter of fact i know that in the temple i believe you guys still have hanging i haven't been to the temple unfortunately in quite a yeah. while but i believe you still have hanging in your lovely hallway the photo um, yep. of the Hebrew Orphan's Home as part of your exhibit as well. And so where that history converges really dates back to the 1870s, where, you know, the temple has always been, um, as I don't have to tell you to, of course, a social justice rooted, or, you know, uh, synagogue. And even back then, um, the earliest rabbis, including Rabbi Marx and then Rabbi Rothschild, were very involved in the Hebrew Orphan's Home, which was an orphanage uh, that was created, I believe it actually had the same architect and designer as the, the original temple. And it was down by Turner, the old Turner Field. It was a orphanage that housed 60 to 80 students at any one time from around the same five state regions as today. And the temple was really um, the, the way that these students continued to learn their Judaism. And by going to religious school there and becoming bar mitzvah through the temple and having the support of the temple rabbis, the temple really upheld this orphanage for a long time and continues to have many leaders, including today, that are very invested from the temple. And one of the things I love about it too is that it was not just the rabbis, like it's a great Atlanta story, Atlanta Jewish story of how members of the community uh, uh, built up these organizations. Yeah. Right. And what I love about the story the most too is the fact that oftentimes, you know, orphanages went out of fashion in right. the 1930s and no longer was it considered the right place to house um, a child. You know, people thought that children should grow up with a more conventional family situation, a mom and dad, foster care, adoption. And so orphanages around the country started closing and, and that's when our story could have ended. Yeah. But rather, we continued to ensure that first we took the 60 to 80 students who were presently in the orphanage and worked hard to ensure that they all found families. And we have, you know, pictures of ads from the Atlanta Jewish Times back in the 1940s asking for families saying you don't have to be wealthy all you have to have is a bed and some love and to give and etc and so the organization though kept providing the family with money so that the family would be able to ultimately you know have this student extra body live in their house but when it came time for college the family suddenly got worried and said how are we going to put them through college and now what have we done if we can't continue on with the next step and that's where we formed jelf Fast forwarding to today, here we are with, as you said, a million and a half dollars being given out in loans. And we also find ourselves amidst a pandemic. What does JELF in the age of these unprecedented times look like? And what are you hearing from students and families? Well, first of all, we had a, it's a great question, Lauren, and one that we get a lot of. We had a 33% spike um, in 2020 as compared to 2019. And it's Based on the timing of the year, it was a little bit hard to say. Some of it probably was pandemic related and others were related to marketing efforts that were made the year prior, which may have helped spike you know, people from other areas knowing about JELF. 
But you know, whatever the case, we were faced with a very large realization of a, a much larger calculated need than we had had in prior years. And we were very fortunate that we worked tirelessly throughout the year to raise enough money to make it so that we had, you know, we weren't, we had about a 70% gap in terms of where we wound up funding the students to what they actually needed. We funded 394 students in total. We moved our entire process to be digital as opposed to it, you know, in person the way it was before. And um, we're really excited at the same time about what the pandemic has done for us in terms of being able to digitally reach our, our target audience in a totally different way. So uh, I have a question, uh, uh, a Jewish question for you. Uh, we are uh, in, in thinking Shemitah year, right? That, which is the uh, 17th year of a, a seven year agriculture cycle that's described in the Bible. And part of what we learn about Shemitah year is that we uh, forgive loans. And I'm wondering how, how that plays out uh, in Jelf. Are you using that as an opportunity to program in any way? Yes, so that's a great question. And Shemitah, which as Rabbi Bird just explained, is the, the seventh year in a cycle of, of loan forgiveness. Um, Jelf, as a matter of fact, had a really unique opportunity occur um, during Thanksgiving, this last Thanksgiving in 2020. And uh, we had a foundation who specifically was very interested in forgiving loans of Jewish students. And we were able to have 11 of our students chosen for complete loan forgiveness. And it was an incredible opportunity and one that I was esteemed to be able to deliver on Zoom to these unsuspecting individuals. And we basically let them know, hey, what we told you you were here for wasn't really the case, but rather we're gonna forgive all of your debt to jail. And they were shocked and there were tears and it was crazy and emotional and dramatic and everything you would kind of expect. And we were, we, we were asked specifically by the funder, interestingly, to do it exactly this way on Zoom. And what it allowed us to do is have an entire reel where we could watch it back to ourselves and really understand what a huge difference it made to be able to not only give our interest-free dollars, but to be able to forgive them to extremely deserving individuals on the complete other end. And we're already seeing, you know, just really great ripples from this experience. And so combined with the Shemitah year, we're looking forward to letting our donors and our individuals and, and community organizations around town understand how they may be able to help get involved or participate. When you think about what you wish the community knew about Jelf. And you mentioned this 33% spike could be possibly a result of marketing. Um, what do you wish the community knew? How would you like to see more people know um, to take advantage of Jelf? Um, how can we help get the word out? That's a great question. And speaking purely to the parents and to the individuals who are in um, undergrad, graduate, or any kind of vocational program in terms of applying, I, I do want to ensure that people understand that JELF is for students who do prove a demonstrated need. However, JELF does take an entire story into account. We understand that it is more than just what you earn that year. It is more than your tax return shows. It is a story. Everybody has something that they may be going through. Some people didn't 
put aside the right money for college in the same way and are finding themselves in situations where they had to borrow. Some people assume their children would go to less expensive colleges than they wound up going to. And some people had illness hit their family or job loss that they it, it was unexpected. And you know everybody has their story. And so what we say to you is that if you believe that you have a story and that you can demonstrate need and you're in a full-time program, you should come to JELF because JELF can help you. And on the other hand, you, you have to, I want to express too, and emphasize that you do have to demonstrate need. And so we're, we're not the same as many other programs that may be out there that will give you money because you're Jewish. And you know this is a need-based program. And so we're looking for students who are going to have to borrow either way. And what's the- Rather than them do it through GELF. Got it, got it. So what's the timeline look like as families perhaps of um, high school juniors right now or those who are thinking about kind of next steps in their educational journey? What kind of timeline should they have in mind for when to communicate with GELF? So a junior and their family should just simply be getting prepared. And they should be doing all the right things to start thinking about where they want to apply and how much these schools are realistically going to cost. Um, I highly encourage any juniors to, to find a JELF seminar. We offer them all the time and they're choke full of fantastic information specifically for juniors and seniors to take advantage of knowing where and how to apply for the most scholarships and the most aid and everything else and when. That being said, the first time anybody would actually apply for JELF would be the March and April period of their senior year of high school. And so right around the time that you're figuring out where you're actually going to go the following fall as a freshman is when you submit your application to JELF. The application period opens every year on March 1st and closes every year on April 30th. And that's your window, 60 days. You also have a September window for those who may miss it, but we get the bulk of our applications in March and April for fall students. This, is, this has been amazing. I, th I, I think, you know, people are sitting in their cars right now and they're they're driving and listening to this conversation and, and it's really, it's a wow. And I want to encourage you when you're not driving to go to jelf.org, um, which, which by the way, you scored an incredible uh, uh, address for your website. It's so, <laughs> just jelf.org, uh, but go and see, you can see the the history, the resources, step-by-step, step, what to do, how to do it. And we want to encourage you to go there. Um, Jen, I want to ask you one, one question that, that has nothing to do with JELF, if that's okay. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this question, but I'm going to do it anyway, because uh, it's so much fun. Um, in, a, in, in addition to this amazing work that you do with JELF, you kind of have this hobby on the side and, and, and you're a Yenta, you are a matchmaker and you have like brought a gazillion people together. And like in, in the year 2021, that's just so interesting that um, they, 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 that you do that. I mean, I'd love to tell us tell us about how you get how you find all these matches. You know, I think I discovered that when you work for organizations in town that especially are, are broad enough that they you're you're I'm introduced to so many people from Johns Creek to Decatur to Marietta. You know, people of all denominations of the Jewish faith, 
for the most part. And I think it provided me and my partner, Beth Friedman, the opportunity to be able to recognize what an awesome opportunity we had to start putting, making great matches amongst people who really may not have ever known each other otherwise and done it in a very personal way. Now, matchmaking is totally my hobby. And so I tell people sometimes the way you may like to play tennis is the way I like to set people up. And, you know, that being said, it's, it's a free way to get your name on a list. Nobody sees any of the information that you fill out other than us. And if anybody is listening, knows someone who may not be on the Jew love list, that's what it's called. Jew love, J U L U V dot com. Then go on it and fill it out. And, and maybe we'll see if we have a match for you. I imagine in the next two months, um, given that JELT applications are opening up, is probably not your best matchmaking season. <laughs> a lot of ones. I mean, how about, how about, you know, like our high school kids who uh, are stuck at home and can't see anyone? Can you, can you, can you match them? <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> well, there are probably a lot of matches to be made around the whole community for many other ways than, than only love. But, you know, I, I think that sometimes it's a tongue twister to say Jenna and Jelf and Jew love and all of these J's together. So it can get people. I love that you do that. I love that, like, you know, in your free time, in, instead of playing checkers, you're getting Jewish people together. It's just a great thing. Out of curiosity, how many, do you have any couples who've gotten married as a result? Yeah, about a dozen, yeah. And no, this, this is a real deal. Oh, I know, I know, but like, it, there's one thing to get people to, to like one another, it's a whole other thing to get them to actually go to the chuppah. I think you've married some of them. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And um, there have been a few babies, and you know what? It's not just—it's not just designed for people who are in the younger stage of life. I mean, we've set people up who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and it's been a fantastic experience to try to help people who really are not adept to different ways, such as apps or even going out anymore to meet one another. There are plenty of people listening to this episode who are going, "Wait, I thought we were talking about." college loans and now we're on to matchmaking and now we're probably wishing we spent the whole episode talking about <laughs> well I, that, that's how like the you know the rabbinic mind works it's like associative logic so we got to go from one topic to the next but well often my lines can blur too because you know people all meet through gel will find out that this is a hobby and then the next thing you know you know but, they well, want to match I can, we, I, we can end it on, 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 a, on a third topic, which is just to say that, um, Jenna, you are, you are known in this community to be such an extraordinary leader um, and um, not only leading Jelf so beautifully, but uh, just um, the skills that you have, uh, your uh, people skills, your relationship building skills and, and being a Mitch and it's, uh, um, it's just a gift that you give to, to our entire community. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. That was really so, such a nice way to end it for me. And thank you so very much for your kind words and for having me on this podcast. I have to say, Peter, listening back to that again, I really think we made a very good arc between funding college and finding love. So good job. Absolutely. Uh, you know, 
the, the great thing about a podcast is you never know where it, you know, where it's going to start. You never know where it's going to end. That is absolutely true. And I think will be especially true next week during our episode where we do not have a special guest. It is just the two of us recording. Uh, we are almost at a year since we released our first episode. And so it's a chance for us to reflect and, and talk about the year that we've experienced. Absolutely. Um, and I think it also offers us a time to, to, to pause and, and think about um, the number of people who have lost their lives and to acknowledge the the milestone number that we've hit um uh, so i uh, yeah a lot I'm, to talk i'll have that time and i'm glad we'll be able to share that time with our community absolutely thank you as always for joining us don't forget to send your questions and comments to podcast at the hyphen temple.org and this has been another episode of the podcast from the temple where we inspire lives and transform our world.